Keep your children from wrongdoing Cause you know done well that they'll go to hell They'll go to hell Hey Ding Dongs, welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she really did want to try to read that David Hume book. It's my sister, Marissa. Bundle theory of the something. Soul? Self. Self. (laughs) I like that she's like, oh, I know what you mean by knowing yourself. And he's like, no, 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 no. They're never talking about that. They're never talking about what you think they're talking about. Poor Eleanor. Yeah. At least it would make it a little bit more interesting for her, but, you know, and for all of us. Alas, no. Um, (laughs) So listeners, last week's episode was about, not about uh, The Good Place, as we normally do. It was about Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. We could do a whole year's worth of episodes, I think, about that movie. I think so, too. Um, Our mom listened to it, and she's like... (laughs) Her feedback was, it's long. It was was a long long. episode. She's like, you girls talked for a long time. (laughs) Yes, we have a lot to say about Star Wars. So if you haven't listened to that episode and you care about Star Wars, I would suggest a listen. I think it's my favorite episode to date, even though it's not about like our normal, what we're normally talking about. Um, But since... I feel silly, though, listening. I listened back to it after I saw the movie for the second time. And I was like, well, now we know how Benicio... Wait, 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 wait. I don't want there to be any spoilers for The Last Jedi in this episode, because I want people who have not seen Star Wars to be able to listen to this nice episode about The Good Place. So let me just say, I made a big fuss in The Last Jedi episode about how could this character know this thing when it's totally obvious once you see the movie a second time, how they know that thing. But I'm just going to put that aside for now. Yes, and uh, maybe we can do, you know... A little, a little note or something about that in a, in a, another episode or something like that uh, coming up. But I I did notice that too when I was re-listening to the episode. I was like, oh, we know that thing now that we talked about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I caught a whole. I think you know before we started recording, you were saying that we could do a whole another episode on the Last Jedi because you and I both saw it again with our mom, and uh, I think we. You know, you were pointing out stuff to me in the theater that I didn't see the first time around, and it was just a great experience overall. It's a good rewatch. I think it holds up. It's a it's an excellent rewatch movie. So. Um, dang, I want to do another episode about it, but let's let's power through. Yes, and talk I about was, the good place. I was gonna- <laughs> and you know, it's good for us to get back into the good place, not only because it's what we're supposed to be talking about, <laughs> but because uh, season two uh, returns January fourth. Next week, baby. Next week. Next week. So next week, we will be back on our bullshit for season two. (laughs) And uh, we'll be back to our regular uh, schedule. But for now, we are talking about the fourth episode in season one, because we're doing our Guilty Knowledge rewatch. So let's get into episode four, which is titled Jason Mendoza. Can we, sorry, before we do that, can we just do some of the housekeeping stuff? Oh, for sure. Um, you you mentioned Marissa that we're now on Google Play. Do you want to? Yes, tell my about that? my brother in law was like, "Oh, I'd love to listen to your podcast. Is it on Google Play?" And I was like, "Is that a thing?" <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll put it on Google Play. It's now on Google Play, so you can find us on Google Play. Uh, you can find us on iTunes at the Good Play. You can find us any uh, podcatcher that uses an RSS feed. We've got that. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Good Play. Our little Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter at the Good Play Pod, and uh, I'm gonna need you. I never remember our URL. The Good Play Rocks. No, there's no the. It's just Good Play Rocks. Good Play Rocks. And the email address is the Good Play Pod at gmail dot com. Right? Yeah. Woohoo! So we got them. Email we us. got them all. <laughs> yeah, we, we've never gotten an email message from anybody. I don't think, and nor has maybe anybody ever directed a tweet at us. Well, you know, things to aspire to. We've got, <laughs> we've got, we've got very manageable goals. Also, I wanted to say that um, I got a new microphone for Christmas, and I also 
took a lynda.com course on uh, audio editing. So hopefully this sounds better <laughs> than the previous yes. 13 episodes. That was my unpaid advertisement for lynda.com. There you go. Linda, if you want to, you know, actually get at us, we can... Uh... No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. Um, so yeah, so now that we've gone through our housekeeping... We can jump right into uh, the recap for episode four of season one called Jason Mendoza. Let me just uh, blow through this kind of quickly, right? Because we're doing these sort of less detailed recaps for the season one episodes. Yeah. This episode picks up right from episode three where Jianyu slash Jason, I think for uh, the sake of sort of simplicity i'm just gonna call him jason even though he kind of goes by both in this episode yeah i mean we know him as jason in season two so if you're listening to this you're not gonna be like what his name is jason (laughs) (laughs) so um jason has lured eleanor into the town square with these notes that say that she doesn't belong and he confesses to her he doesn't belong either that he is this um amateur dj vine pranker uh he also sold fake drugs to college kids he's from jacksonville florida he's definitely a dirtbag that's pretty much clear from the (laughs) get-go and so he's obviously also not supposed to be there and you know eleanor is sort of shocked that he has managed to go undetected but he's managed to go undetected by keeping this vow of silence that michael sort of suggested for him the very first thing he that Michael says to Jason when Jason kind of wakes up in the afterlife is this, you know, would you like to keep your vow of silence yeah, thing? Which he's, has, a, he's a monk. Yeah. He's supposed to be a monk, right? Which obviously Michael, you know, guilty knowledge, uh, Michael knows that Jason is not smart enough to be able to cover for himself. And so is sort of giving him cover to let this illusion maintain itself a little yeah. bit longer. There is a B-plot with Tahani through this episode where she is helping open the restaurant for Chef Patricia. And the restaurant is called The Good Plates, which, you know, is very close to our podcast name. I think that might be a coincidence. (laughs) Jason shows Eleanor his bud hole. I'm going to enunciate very carefully there. (laughs) Which is this sort of like basement of the mansion where it's got all these like scantily clad lady pictures. And he's got like gaming systems and whatnot yeah Yeah, he's he janet has hooked him up with all this stuff and jason you know funny enough makes this little side comment about janet like is she single is she married to michael and eleanor says you can't date janet and then of course later they actually get married which is interesting yeah and it ends up being like a really big reason for a lot of the plot in season two as well (laughs) yeah and eleanor is kind of relieved to have this place where you know she she to this point she has had two states of being she can be in she can either be pretending to be very good eleanor or she can be sort of chidi's receptive student but she hasn't been able to kind of exercise her actual real life personality and so she sort of likes that she has this place to do this with jason she likes it initially anyway we keep getting these flashbacks to jason's life so um you know he is this uh edm DJ uh, in Jacksonville. DJ Music, right? Mr. Music? Yeah. It's just like, I mean, how is nobody's actual DJ name that? Because it's That's just gotta it's be somebody, so bad right? that it's, <laughs> it's so bad that it's perfect for him. So he's at this show by this DJ called Acid Cat, who Which wears I, this gigantic... Dead Mouse? Oh, is that a... Th- okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have no knowledge of this stuff. So it's basically this guy inside of like a giant uh, silver cat head. So and he says that, you know, he's got all these other gigs and he needs Jason to fill in for him. And he says, you know, you have no talent, but it doesn't matter. Just push spacebar on this laptop, which is a pretty sick burn for like all DJs <laughs> everywhere. Um, let me just run through the rest of that plot because I don't want to keep bouncing around. Okay. Um, so Jason DJs as Acid Cat for most of a week and everybody loves him, but he doesn't feel like satisfied by that at all because he says, you know, they don't love me. They love acid cat. And he takes off the, the big silver head at some point and tries to play his own music and they all boo and they throw their glow sticks at him. 
Uh, and then it turns out that Acid Cat is going to sue Jason for a breach of contract. And so he uh, throws a Molotov cocktail at Acid Cat's speedboat. Yeah. That's how he solves his problems. Yeah. And, and at some point he's having a, he has a couple conversations with his best friend, Pillboy, who seems to be even dopier than Jason is. And Jason he has is my su- favorite line of the entire episode when Jason is talking about you know, he's talking about the consequences, basically, of pretending to be someone you're not, which is, I think, the point of this subplot. But he says something like, you know, pretending to be someone else could ha- could cost me all my dreams in life. And Pillboy goes, you got dreams in life? That's lit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, this whole subplot is about how Jason resents the hell out of being made to act apart. Mm-hmm. Um which, of course, directly contrasts with the episode. But let me get back to what's actually happening in real time in the episode. Um, so Jason is not invited to this restaurant opening that uh, Tahani is coordinating because it's supposed to be like a conversational evening. And obviously Jason doesn't talk. And uh, Tahani says something like, oh, you know, the old British saying, like, do your best to hide your sadness. Yeah, which is <laughs> She delivers that so well. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Uh, during one of Chidi and Eleanor's ethics lessons, uh, Eleanor really is spacing out and is like, oh, hey, I'm just going to go uh, try to learn something from from Jianyu. And Chidi says, oh, that's great, because Buddhism actually something something. But then they hear uh, music. Well, Chidi says, do you hear music? And Eleanor sort of says, that's not music. That's EDM. <laughs> They rush over to Tahani's mansion. They find Jason sort of blasting the windows out of the place. Tahani's not home. Um, he's in his, like, Jacksonville Jaguars uh, jersey. And, by the way, the thing that he yells when he Molotov cocktails uh, the speedboat is Bortles, as in Blake Bortles, as in the Jacksonville oh, Jaguars. Oh, I yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, like, I know more about football than I would really like to know. Um so they find Jason sort of being Jason, and, and Chidi is, like, gobsmacked and thinks that Eleanor broke him. But Eleanor explains to Chidi what's actually going on, and poor Chidi just, I mean, just the when we thought just Chidi keep on was, yeah, seriously, poor Chidi was, like, starting to be okay with his, like, situation, and then this happens, and he's just like, I can't even take this, poor Chidi. So then we kind of go to the climax of the episode, which is the the restaurant scene where the the good plates is opening. Everybody gets their favorite meal on earth. And of course, for Eleanor, it's no meal because it's supposed to be a memory of a hunger strike, which is such a perfect bad place masquerading as good place touch. Yeah. Oh, can I can we uh, jump back a second to say that Tahani, when she does come in, she kind of interrupts them in the mansion and uh, he talks to her for the first time. Oh, he says, I'm cool, right? Yeah. He's, she says, oh, hello, soulmate. How are you? And he says, I'm cool. And then she takes that as he can talk now. And Eleanor's been helping him talk. And she's just so thrilled. So that's Aww, how Jason... It's so, so pathetic. In, and that's how Jason ends up at the opening of the restaurant. Because yes, thank you. She's been He's been invited now that he can speak. And, you know, Tahani really wants Jason to, like, open up and say something. And... They're all going to go around and talk about their favorite meal, which they can't... Look, you can't really do that. There's like a hundred people there. The food's going to get cold, but whatever. Um, Glenn starts, but then uh, Jason is about to get up and talk about his actual favorite meal, which is the wings at Stupid Nick's Wing Dump, right? (laughs) In Gainesville. Yeah. Uh, And Eleanor is like, we need a distraction right the fork now. So she puts her fist through Chef Patricia's... um, masterpiece dessert which was like a a, a three-tier cake that took a week to make it which beautiful and also the cake looked really moist when she I punched know, through I was, it i know <laughs> also this scene really scared uh my five-year-old oh no <laughs> he thought that he thought that eleanor and chidi were mad at each other because <laughs> eleanor put her fist through the cake and he's like are they not friends anymore it's like no it's okay like i, I didn't thought, really understand I you were say it upset him because he hates seeing people waste dessert that kid loves cake he'd be happy to eat a cake with somebody's fist through it i don't think he sees that as a problem <laughs> i think he was just he's concerned that uh, eleanor and chidi are mad at each other but i was no. he doesn't really understand the metaphysics of like she thinks that she can make this 
thing happen in the in the universe that she's in no. by destroying something beloved, which is of course exactly what happens. A sinkhole opens up and Glenn falls in, but he doesn't fall to his demise. There's no demise in this world. And Eleanor, you know, is trying to lecture Jason basically to say like, you know, I did this so that you wouldn't have the opportunity to expose yourself, you know, and also expose her functionally. Mm-hmm. And Eleanor chews him out and says, you know, come to ethics class. And Jason says, no, I didn't go to heaven. I didn't get into heaven to go to school. And Eleanor says, you didn't get into heaven at all, shirt for brains. I loved that. Yeah. You know, come. And then she, you know, she just, it's really sweet the way she talks about Chidi here. You know, she's like, you know, the only reason that that I am going to learn how to be a good person is because of this amazing, kind, selfless nerd here. And, you know, you you better come and try to be a better person. You got to be the better version of yourself. You can't just be yourself here. Um, and But he does show up the next day for, quote unquote, ethnics lessons, <laughs> which is a little upsetting. And, El- you know, and it's super clear that he has no idea what's going on or what anyone is talking about. And Eleanor is very proud to be the smartest kid in class, finally. And um, Tahani, who who resigned from planning parties and then rescinded her resignation when she learned that Michael sort of still needed some help, kind of goes, she tiptoes into the good plates after hours to kind of check in on the sinkhole and she finds that it is getting bigger. And that is the thing that ends the episode. Yeah. So here we are. Here we are. So it's funny because the, the message of this episode is... Uh, to me, it was sort of like, so you know how everybody, you know, all those kids movies and all those TV shows all say, be yourself as though that's the best thing you can be. That's nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Stop putting so much uh, stake in being yourself and think about how you can be a better person rather than just being the version of yourself that you already are or maybe that you think you would sort of default into being without sort of any uh, hard work on your part. That's an interesting way to look at it. Did you have a different take on it? No. Uh, it's it's more that I, I, I can understand why the mantra of just be yourself and like, you know, fork anybody who tells you to, to change how you are. I, I think when you're talking about behavior that is at the level of throwing a Molotov cocktail into someone's speedboat, (laughs) maybe you should rethink your life choices. (laughs) Um, And, you know, maybe that is behavior that is worth examining and changing. And I think that's part of Eleanor's journey. Even, I mean, this is the fourth episode and into season one, and she's already growing and realizing that uh, the way that she was on earth is unsustainable and ultimately didn't really do her any good. So I can understand why she looks at Jason and sort of sees somebody who's kind of a kindred spirit who she also feels like needs to step up to the plate and start being a better contributing member of the afterlife society, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) He he's, it's funny, this is his introduction. This is his first episode where we learn anything about him. And what we learn about him is not flattering. No, it, 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 rarely it, do we find out a flattering detail about him, even in season two, right? Like season two is where we find out that he he went to Leonard Skinner High School, which is like a bunch of tugboats tied together. So, a- but I would argue that that is a detail meant to make him seem, make us feel more sort of pathos towards him. Yeah, that's true. You know, every detail we learn in this episode is basically that he was an unself-aware, self-aggrandizing person who broke the law in order to maintain a lifestyle that he wanted to maintain, who, who, you know... Doesn't really seem to have the awareness to have remorse for what he's doing, either. Like, you know, I... He doesn't have any remorse for doing bad things, but I don't look at him as a cold person. It's just he's literally a ding-dong. Like, he's just clueless about everything. He seems a little savvier in these flashbacks as compared to maybe the flashback where we find out how he dies. Yeah. He does say in this episode, uh, because they're they're trying to, at one point, like, hatch a plan so that neither one of them gets outed and he says they should uh 
download all the nudes from Michael's phone and blackmail him as if like that's a thing that would even happen or exist. And he says, you should listen to me. I've come up with a hundred plans in my life and only one of them got me killed. (laughs) Technically correct. Yes. The best kind of correct, as my friend likes to say. So, you know, not not completely like he is kind of savvy but he just exists almost until he dies in a world where you know he just sort of doesn't even really think about the consequences right yeah he's a funny guy you know he seems to be all id in this episode and i i think there's a real question here and I, th- I think his existence raises the question of, I mean, so let me, let me, I'll get religious for one second. When we do Passover, I'm sure you see where this is going. When we do Passover, we have uh, the four children. Um, mm-hmm. And, and each of the four children asks a question about uh, the Passover story, which is, of course, for those of you who, who might not know, the Passover story is this sort of fable about how, uh, the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt and they were let out by Moses. And, and there are these four children who ask questions and they are labeled the wise child, the wicked child, the simple child, and the child who cannot ask. So the child who cannot ask is like a prelingual child. Uh, and But setting aside the wise and wicked children for a second, uh, Jason is kind of the quintessential simple child. That's a good analogy. You know, the simple child asks, what is this all about? And you're supposed to sort of explain Passover to him in the simplest terms possible. But Jason raises this constant question about when someone is fundamentally too simple to a lot, a lot of people in this world, are, you know, Jason seems to have had this un- unprivileged existence, right? He is in a sort of an economically depressed area he is not white. I would say there's a better than even chance that his parents were immigrants, you know, stuff like that. But I think the thing at the end of the day that led him to a lot of the behavior that uh, obviously got him sent straight to the bad place was, yeah, because he is kind of too simple to have uh, reasoned his way into basic ethical principles, He's almost the opposite of Chidi. Chidi is so smart and he made the study of ethics his entire life. And you get the sense that Chidi, you know, kind of lives and sleeps and breathes ethics and the 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 intellectual pursuit of the idea of ethics. Now it's didn't get Chidi into the good place, right? But Chidi would have been able to tell you sort of in intellectually the the ethical thing to do in any situation although he would have waffled about it quite a bit and it seems like for Jason he's so simple that the idea of acting in an ethical way maybe never even would have occurred to him that there was some sort of set of principles that we should all live by so that we can maintain a civilized society i don't think that he could articulate that necessarily yeah i can see that I can totally see that. I can see him as the simple child. So then the question becomes, the question becomes, can you send the simple child to hell? Woof. Does the simple child deserve to be sent to hell because the simple child cannot intuit an ethical system to live by? Had this same person with the same um, IQ or potential for IQ, I'm, you know, I'm using IQ in a more... um, colloquial term than scientific had had jason been born into an extremely well-to-do family where he was taught very maybe he maybe a very religious family where he was taught uh very strict ethical guidelines and he kind of followed them because it was what he was taught and it didn't occur to him to sort of act in any other way than what he was taught then it's not out of the realm of possibility he could have ended up in the good place for real but he seems to have been set adrift by circumstances and by abilities was unable to make up the difference on his own. I mean, I think that is an interest raises an interesting point about kind of what you said earlier about 
the more we learn about him, the more we we are sort of like, oh, we see that he's a product of this environment where in season two, we find out, like I said, he goes to Leonard Skinner High School, which is like a bunch of tugboats that are tied together in a junkyard, right? Obviously a hyperbolic situation, but a situation that's not really conducive to learning. He says most of their classes are just selling dirty magazines door to door. When he's getting married to Tahani, he says, you're like a really hot teacher that I can have sex with. That happened all the time at Leonard Skinner High School, except this time, like nobody's getting arrested. So it puts him in the context of he never had any situation in which he was ever afforded the opportunity to learn how to be a good person. So yeah, if you don't have that innately and you your public school Jacksonville education is selling dirty magazines door to door and the teachers are having sex with the students, I can see how you know, that might lead you down a certain path where you think that DJing the amateur porn awards in Reno for S- Scott Disick's after party is like... Who is that? Of- oh, uh, <laughs> um, used to be married to Khloe Kardashian, question mark? Or maybe um, they were... No, they weren't, ma- okay. they weren't married, <laughs> but they're, they, he's, he's like her baby daddy or I don't... People are... Uh, he's a... D. Is Khloe the one who was in the Pepsi ad? No. Okay. Uh, that's then I don't know Kendall who she is. Kendall Jenner? Question mark? Oh, I don't okay. know. Ne- See, I don't know nearly <laughs> enough about this family. Um, which you know is who like- does know? Eleanor. <laughs> yes. she. Well, she follows Kendall Jenner's Instagram feed. That's her favorite book. Right. Uh, but, um, yeah. So, Scott Disick, I think, is related in some way to the Kardashians. And uh, he is kind of a like a club rat. He is, like, always at clubs, and that's basically his job is, like, party promoting. So Eesh. that's why, yeah, not a real job. So, uh, Is it better or worse than selling fake drugs to college students? Well, I would imagine the, the fake drugs are at the parties because the college kids are coming to the parties. So I think Fair they're enough. linked because, you know, so I can understand, you know, it kind of makes you understand that given his upbringing you would have to have like this fundamental moral compass that I don't know if he has the ability to develop. Yeah. 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 I don't think that he could have developed that. And I think it is an interesting thing as we look later into season one, right? Where Eleanor says that she has blamed her shirty behavior on her parents' divorce and the fact that she was raised by, uh, neglectful maniacs, essentially. <laughs> neglectful they, maniacs is a really good term for them. I, I mean, they kind of are. The flashbacks that we see are really upsetting, and and you can understand how a kid growing up in that environment would basically not... become a sociopath. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's sort of so. In a way, it's kind of like a tiny miracle that she's at least having this kind of reaction to Chidi's ethics lessons and stuff. But you also get the other side. With I think her. you mean. Ethnics lessons. Ethnic lessons. I'm so sorry. But you also get the other side with her where she says, you know, listen, my parents, you know, had a bad marriage and they got divorced and da da da. And uh, my boyfriend, Adam Scott, says, oh, you know, the same thing that happened to you happened to 50% of kids in America, you know. So at what point do you grow the moral compass or. Well, that's the out difference between Eleanor and, and um, Jason, though. Eleanor was smart. Eleanor is smart. Eleanor was smart enough if she had wanted to think about how to be a good person, she had the ability. I mean, she went to college. She could have taken a philosophy class. Yeah. You know, she she kind of made the choice to, you know, she says in the, the most recent episode before the hiatus, she says that she always had this little voice telling her that what she was doing was wrong. Yeah. And she kind of ignored it. And that's, I think, the difference between her and Jason. I don't think Jason had that voice at all. I, no, I, I think I think Eleanor had the intellectual ability to make different decisions, but chose to kind of take the easy path, mostly because she was like horrifically emotionally abused by her neglectful monster parents. Yeah. But I don't think that Jason even had that voice. So then, yeah, the real question does become like, how do you punish someone for eternity who 
doesn't have the capacity to yeah didn't have the capacity to to do what was necessary to get into the good place but at the same time he's not a morally upstanding guy but when we talk when we have talked about the relationship that he has say with tahani uh especially in season two he's fundamentally underneath all of the sort of uh ding donginess right the the outward dirtbag he's like fundamentally kind of a nice guy because he's the first person in her life who has ever just been sweet to her with he's so simple that he like can't really have an agenda (laughs) so he's just sweet to her and that's very disarming to her like when he asks her to marry him She's like, oh, that's insane, and what are you talking about? And he says, well, I promise, you know, I, I can't give you a lot, but I, I promise to always be nice to you, right? So it's funny because he's very simple, but he understands the importance of being nice, whereas Eleanor is smarter than him, but has made the decision in her life on Earth to be mean to everyone else in order to shut them out. You know, like, at least Jason had a best, like, a real best friend. Like, they were... That's true. They were literally ride or die. They, you know what I mean? (laughs) So I guess, I guess the question with Jason then is, like, do you think that when he got to the good place and he no longer had to hustle, okay, he doesn't have to sell dirty magazines or sell fake drugs or do... He doesn't have to do anything. All of his needs are met, He is basically living in a post-scarcity society in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. Does that sort of open up his, a reservoir of natural sweetness in him that kind of occurs when he doesn't have to sort of scrabble for a subsistence anymore? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's a, that's a, a very deep way of looking at it, I think. I don't know. I've thought about that a lot. Like... He has all these sort of weird side gigs. His main money-making gig is clearly... Well, <laughs> is it illegal to sell fake drugs? I actually have no idea. That's like in A Few Good Men where he, you know, he says, uh, your client bought a dime bag of oregano. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yes, is that is that illegal? I actually have no clue. But um, I don't it's, know. It's... it's, it's if it's not illegal, it's not super legal it's either. It's for sure. Yeah. Well, it's, I don't even know if it's that. I would rather that somebody take a sugar pill thinking it was uh, an opioid <laughs> than actually take an opioid. That's true. In any case, you know, the fact that he was kind of doing all these weird jobs and jobs that were arguably sort of dangerous, you know, I'm, I'm sure... You know, selling fake drugs to college kids was was a laugh line, but like selling drugs is usually not like a super risk free occupation. I wouldn't recommend it. It just makes me wonder, like, how much of his life was devoted to just sort of keeping himself afloat, and if once he is relieved of that obligation, if you know his whole outlook is very different, and. It's very different for him compared to the other three because, I mean, Tahani never worked a day in her life. Yeah. Eleanor had a job that she kind of sort of enjoyed, which was lying to old people. But it was like a normal nine to five. She seemed to be good at it, you know, and then she got to do what she wanted with the other like 120 or whatever hours of her week. Meanwhile, Chidi was doing his favorite thing in the world, which was teaching. You know, Chidi was happy as a pig in mud. Yeah. So... Jason seemed to be the only one who was actually kind of struggling. So his life changed the most by his death because he no longer has to struggle kind of just to get by. Uh, So is he the one who is sort of most fundamentally changed personality wise by his death? I'm just very impressed that we're having this conversation because I remember when we first started this podcast, you were like completely out on Jason I look, I don't, I don't like him. I, I don't, he, it's, it's to me, quite frankly, he's the least inter- interesting character. He is kind of always just a throwaway joke about stupidity and cluelessness. And I get why he has to exist, but I think he's the most expendable, disposable character on the show. And all of this, I just, I have to emphasize this. I cannot emphasize this enough. 
None of this is a reflection on Manny Jacinto. This is, I'm talking strictly about the character. I am not talking about the actor or his abilities, which are excellent. Yeah. Not talking about the actor at all. Um, but I am talking about the character, and the character is like, I'm not going to say he's the poochie <laughs> of the show. <laughs> But, like, he's kind of, like, the Urkel. No, I don't know. The Urkel was a big deal. He, he's, oh, I guess he's kind of like the Kimmy. He's kind of like the Kimmy Gimbler, I guess. You know, he's, he's kind of like the the least important main character. Uh, and he's the most one-note, one-dimensional main character. And, like, look, the writers are excellent. And they may surprise me at some point. They may pull something out of their back pockets with regards to Jason that's going to make me feel a totally different way about him. But right now I'm just sort of like, yeah, I mean, I feel the way about him that I feel about Kimmy Gibbler. Like, they come in, they say a couple lines, they make me laugh a little bit, but like, do I care about Kimmy Gibbler? Like, who Kimmy Gibbler is taking to the prom? Like, no, I care about Steve and DJ. I will ride for Steve <laughs> for the rest of my days. Um, but, I mean, I would argue, though, that he is integral to... I mean, I think his character and the way that his character is written is very, like, for the jokes and for the sort of self-deprecating one-liners that he doesn't understand or self-deprecating. They're that kind of thing. But I would argue, though, that he is integral to a lot of the plot because his, his relationship with Janet almost undoes the world in season two. Yeah, but... That that's very little to do with him. You know, he's kind of just a pawn in that plot. I disagree with that because it's the fact that he is again nice to Janet even when she doesn't know anything and can't supply him with anything. The fact that he's nice to her is the inciting incident for them falling in love such as it is or getting married. I mean, we are canonically told they do fall in love. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> like it or not. <laughs> so, I mean, I think I, I, I think that there is a deeper well to him than maybe we are uh, appreciating, I think. Mm, I mean, I'll, let's, let me put it this way. All the episodes in which there is an Eleanor plot and she's off doing one thing and a Jason plot and he's off doing another thing. No matter who else they are paired with, I almost never care about the Jason plot. I am always keyed into the Eleanor plot, and I am always like, okay, yeah, the Jason thing happened. Like, you know, the um, existential crisis episode. Jason and Tahani are doing party planning. Like, don't care. <laughs> you know? Even the even the Jason and Janet marriage really only becomes interesting to me because Tahani and Eleanor are at the wedding uh, making hilarious comments about it. Yeah, I love what she's like. I'm just going with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I think I, I just have a different... Uh, I just have a different reaction. I mean, I think that it's, you know, similar to other sitcoms where, like, they start with, you know, your one main character. We've talked about this a little bit before, but... You know, you talk about your your one point of view character and all the other characters are just sort of uh, two-dimensional and then they all get built up over time because it becomes more of an ensemble show. I think he is pulling his weight in the ensemble, but I just think it may be because we're so conditioned to see Eleanor as like the locus for all this stuff that we pay more attention to what's going on with her. She's a more complex character for sure. Yeah, she, def she definitely is a more complex character. How, how, do, do we see on television... So, like, I have to admit, like, I don't... So I don't watch a lot of television, which is not a humble brag. It is a, um... I have two small children and almost no spare time brag. Is that a brag? That's not no, a brag. Not a brag. It's a lament. It's a it's a cry for help, I think. It's a cri <laughs> de corps. So I can't really answer this question, but, like, does television have a lot of, like, really deeply stupid characters? Uh, I mean, Kimmy Gibbler. No, I'm talking about modern TV. And I'm talking about, I guess I'm talking about comedies because in a, in a drama, it would be sort of a character like Jason would be a, a tragic figure, I think. <laughs> but no, really, I, you know, I, I think it would be sort of very sad. But in a comedy, you know, do we have a lot of like really stupid 
characters and that's that's sort of the point of their persona is that a thing in a lot of modern comedies like i'm thinking of so like again i don't watch a ton but like i've seen some episodes of modern family uh and none of those characters kind of stick out to me as being like over the top simple um I mean, like, Ralph Wiggum from The Simpsons, but, like, I don't necessarily want to go as far as animation, which is obviously cartoonish by definition. I think it happened... When I think of characters like that, I think of characters like Cody from Step by Step. Oh, man. that's But that's, again, that's a... That's That's a a deep pull. That is, like, a... It's been a long time since that show was on. But that's what I mean, like... But it is... It's the Kimmy Gibbler. It is the... Cody from Step by Step. I think it used to be a trope. Uh, now more than, but they were also completely ancillary to whatever was going on. And the thing yes. with Jason is that he's not ancillary. He's a part of the main cast. I mean, I guess you could, uh, yeah. Well, you could say, and I, you haven't seen the show, but I tell you to watch it like once an episode when we do the show. But Andy's character in. Uh, in Parks and Recreation, Chris Pratt's character. Is that, I was going to say, is that Chris Pratt? Chris Pratt um, is really doofy. And in the first season... Well, I guess that's Michael Schur. I guess this is a Michael yeah, Schur template. Yeah, it's a Michael Schurism. Really doofy. And in the first season really isn't meant to be all that likable. And then in the second season becomes very likable and remains one of the most like doofy but lovable characters on that show so i would say in that case yes he doesn't necessarily get um book smarter but he emotionally matures but like what about michael scott is michael scott in this vein uh yeah i would put i would actually put michael scott in the same or is michael scott kind of crazy like a fox (sighs) but sometimes jason is too right because jason understands Jason figured out it was the bad place once. He well, he figures it out in this episode. He says, "I think we're on a prank show." Yeah, <laughs> and then she says, "No, we're dead." And he says, "Oh, that's a dope prank. Got to give it up." Um, but he also understands what's that utilitarianism. Mm-hmm. He understands that because he has he has because of Dan's dance resolution. We resolved Dan's dance, dance resolution. And because he framed his friend's girlfriend, you know, for alligator theft, boogie board theft or something. She was like an underground <laughs> it's Florida, alligator It could be manatee theft. It could be. Could be who, who knows? Could be Epcot golf ball theft. Yeah. So, like, actually, I think Michael Scott is, like, another good example. So maybe this is just, like, a Michael Schur kind of character where you have these characters who are sort of doofy on the outside but have, like, little kernels of wisdom on the inside every once in a while. And they kind of surprise you with, with that. I loved Michael Scott. I unabashedly, unashamedly loved Michael Scott. And I feel so differently about Jason. It's kind of funny to think of them as, like, being made in the same mold. Well, Michael Scott... I think the difference with Michael Scott is that he really did have... You know, I think his intentions were always good, but the execution wasn't always good, right? It was never good. Yeah. (laughs) I think it was good one time. (laughs) But, like, he really loved the people that he worked with, really cared about his job, really cared about the company in a way that I don't think Jason cares about much of anything. Yeah, Michael Scott was was deeply sweet. I mean, he was clueless. He he was like a bull in a china shop emotionally. But he he really cared about everybody. And that was what I loved about him. And I also, I also thought that he usually got the funniest bits where I don't think Jason gets the funniest bits. But like yeah. uh, when, when Michael Scott is, by the way, if you haven't seen The Office, uh, maybe go watch The Office, like all 700 seasons of it. But at some point, Michael Scott is pretending to be a an ex-con and he's got like a bandana yeah. on his yeah. head. <laughs> and he's like, the worst part about prison was the Dementors. <laughs> I just like... Prison Mike, because it was Prison, Prison Mike. Mike. <laughs> God, I loved that. Yeah, I mean, his his intentions were always in the right place. Whereas I think Jason is out for himself. Michael yeah, was you always know, even out though for other he, people. He loves Pillboy, but it's not like... We don't get the sense necessarily that he would sacrifice anything for Pillboy. Yeah, whereas Michael Scott would... 
uh, you know, give his employees anything he had, basically. Give him the shirt off his back if yeah. he could. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I th- but I think maybe there are um, templates or, like, you can see in the Michael Schur expanded universe how some <laughs> characters are, are, you know, related to one another, kind Did of. Did you catch the Nick Fury cameo at the end of this episode? <laughs> um I think Andy from from Parks and Recreation is probably the closest because at the beginning he is sort of like doofy and selfish and over time sort of grows into somebody lovable. So I would say he's probably the closest. He doesn't sell fake drugs to college kids though. Yeah, you know the 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 um amorality of Jason might be uh novel in the Michael Schur universe, although I haven't I certainly haven't seen every Mike Schur show. Actually, another character, now that I think about Michael Schur, another character that Jason kind of reminds me of is uh, on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Gina from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. She's played by Chelsea Peretti, who is hysterical. And... um, Is she married to somebody famous? uh, Jordan Peele. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she's hysterical. And uh, her character is all id, right? Which is exactly what you said about Jason. There's actually an episode where they go to, like, a fancy party with a lot of um, psychologists, and they're studying her, like, oh my god, she's id and ego, like, put together. So she's pretty much all id. Uh, she has a very high opinion of herself. She is sort of over-the-top comically only interested in herself, but then gets into all these hijinks and stuff, and underneath it all, like, does care about people, but is mostly id so yeah i mean i think they pop up every now and again in in his expanded universe of characters uh does she have sort of a character arc where she outgrows that at all i don't know i haven't watched enough of the show okay yeah i've watched all parks and rec so i know what happens to andy uh and i've watched enough of the office i do too even though i've never seen a more than two ding dang episodes that show because just sort of permeated the cultural consciousness yeah Got married to Aubrey Plaza. That's what I know. Yes. Their marriage is great. Uh, and then he helped raise a velociraptor, is my understanding? Different franchise, but yes. It's actually really funny how they uh, explain away the fact that... Because Andy on the show is, like, really sort of dumpy. Like, he's, a, he's like, cute, but he's not. Chris Pratt has become hot in front of our eyes, you know? Um <laughs> And become a hottie with a body. And they he, they were still filming um, uh, Parks and Recreation when he sort of went through this transformation. So they had to kind of explain it away. And he's like, yeah, I just stopped uh, stopped drinking. And Adam Scott's like, how much were you drinking? This is- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got to say, it's, it's like, it's not dissimilar to Aaron Sorkin, right? Where you look at the body of work and you pick out these archetypes and you go, oh, Michael J. Fox in The American President is Joshua Lyman from uh, The West Wing, who is also... Daniel Caffey from um, yes. A Few Good Men. Thank you. Yeah. Who I mean, it is effectively also, you know, so-and-so from The Newsroom and this and such from Sports Night and let's never talk about Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. There's one episode of Studio 60 to, that I like, and I only like half of it. <laughs> <laughs> let's never talk about Studio 60 That's on the fair. Sunset Strip. That's fair. Oh, you don't want to do a spinoff pod where we talk about <laughs> Studio 60? If we, I, I feel like people would listen to a podcast that was about hate watching that show because people still, it's been... 10 plus years and people yeah. still have rage about that show. Yeah. Can I just say, this is how good a prognosticator I am. I distinctly remember. I mean, this is like a flashbulb memory for me. I was in New York City the uh, right before the pilot of both Studio 60 and 30 Rock. So that was the same season that the pilots for those two shows came out. Oh, wow. And I was in New York, maybe for an interview or something. And they had advertisements for both those shows, like, plastered everywhere, the way they do in New York, as you know. Like, Mm -hmm. they really hammer all the media that they really want to saturate. And I remember seeing all the huge, I mean, Herald Square, it was this huge, huge banner announcement of Studio 60. And then all the cabs have, like, the, the 30 Rock things on the little cab 
hats. What do you call them? The little the little mohawks that are on the calves. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to start calling them mohawks. <laughs> and I just remember seeing both of those a thousand times and being like, obviously Studio 60 with the pedigree of Aaron Sorkin. Obviously that's going to be the long running beloved show. And this 30 Rock garbage is just going to be a flash in the pan one season, you know, no hit, blah, blah. Well, my friends. <laughs> well, I'm sure Aaron Sorkin would have preferred your outcome. <laughs> the world would be a darker place if I had been correct. Yes. <laughs> no Liz Lemon. Oh, yeah. No, I don't want to live done. in that. I don't want I don't want to live in that timeline. <laughs> Liz Lemon is kind of the like a female Michael Scott in a way. Kind of. Oh, speaking of stupid characters though in uh, in sitcoms, I mean Tracy Jordan Yes! Tracy Jordan is a great is a great analogue here. Yeah, actually, yeah, Tracy Jordan and uh and Jason Mendoza have a lot in common. They're sort of spiritual I love the episode of Thirty Rock where he sees the pigeon outside and he just says, Don't you know you can fly? <laughs> they do have they have similarly, you know, um Tracy Jordan canonically has a has an extremely um shady no, no, has an extremely uh, traumatic childhood. He he runs through a list of all the things he's seen in his existence, and it's uh, it's disturbing to say the least. Mm. So in that way, he and Jason have a lot in common as well. Uh, yeah. It's just that Tracy Jordan hit it big and became extremely wealthy, and obviously Jason never did. But, but funny he enough, has dreams like, of DJing in Daytona, yeah, and, and Tampa. But Tracy Jordan never really did. Tracy Jordan ever really grow a set of ethics, even after he could have, after he was able to stop hustling. No, I think no, 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 no. I mean, he he has little flashes of character growth, but overall, he's sort of just an amoral um, doofus. Um, on the other hand, you know. It's hard to read too much into anything in 30 Rock because that show is way more absurdist and out there than most comedies. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, he does have a moment when he finds out he's having a baby girl. Yes, I was thinking that same thing. He does have that moment of like, wait, is every woman someone's daughter? (laughs) Yes. Maybe I shouldn't treat them like pieces of meat. But yeah, for the most part, I don't think he grows very much. Um, But he's also not meant to and that show is not really about him growing he's there to be i think arguably the good place is about the growth of these four characters and so yeah i think so so i think we expect more from jason than we do from a tracy jordan yeah but i don't know how much jason can grow i don't know how much it would be realistic for him to grow yeah i mean i think he has grown some, but as you said, like a lot of it is sort of the more two-dimensional stuff. So he's he's grown on the Cartesian plane. He's like Flat Stanley. <laughs> Wait, who's Flat Stanley? He's a children's book character who's two-dimensional, literally two-dimensional. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's it. There you go. <laughs> have we said all we're going to say about Jason Mendoza? I think so. Do you ha- do you have any other uh things you'd like to talk about uh well you know the um the 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 season two part two premiere is on january 4th is that right i think so yeah let me check my calendar here yes the fourth and just a reminder to everybody that i do live tweet those episodes at the good play pod and um that's a lot of fun so i would say come Check out the Twitter while uh, while the episode's on air on on East Coast time, obviously, because I am on the East Coast. Yeah. Do we have any predictions? I think that would be a nice, maybe a nice oh. place to leave off. Because as we know, uh, Sean is in uh, is in Michael's office. <laughs> what when last we left our heroes, <laughs> uh, Michael was finally starting to feel good about this whole ethics thing and the whole. I think you mean thing. ethnics. Ethnics. <laughs> His his ethnics lessons were paying off, and he's finally starting to feel like he has friends. And then he walks into his office, and uh, 
Sean says, close the door. Uh, so I think I think this was something that Ian had said, our, our most faithful listener, Ian. Thank you, Ian. I think Ian had said something like he's going to call Janet and Janet's going to stick Sean in a corner of her void and they're going to make a break for it. That, to me, is the only thing I can kind of think of now. <laughs> it seems like the most likely outcome, but like... Or, you know, Sean says, you know, go collect the humans and, and I'm going to send you all to the bad place, the real bad place uh, at the same time. And that's when Michael's like, oh, we got to go now. Yeah. I, you know, I, I it's hard for me to see and it's hard for me to imagine the show where Sean kind of removes Michael and leaves Vicky in charge and we don't see michael for a couple episodes that would be kind of crazy right yeah i mean oh happy birthday ted danson by the way it was his birthday birthday? well it was his birthday yesterday as we record this so a couple days ago as you're listening to this podcast wow good job ted danson um yeah i mean i was gonna say having this show without ted danson feels wrong Yes. Uh, feels like it wouldn't be sort of living up to its potential. So I don't I don't exactly know. Also feels like the network is paying him mucho dinero to be in every episode and they're yeah. not going <laughs> to yeah. let him out. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it's a situation where um, you kind of get the... Um, Michael is trying to please two masters now. Like, he's trying to... Maybe he tries to... Uh, show that no 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 we really are doing you know we really are torturing them so then the all the people have to the humans have to play act being tortured maybe who knows i think well no i i just i can't see that going down just because sean now has like the records of all of these failed attempts and he still thinks they're on attempt number two so like it's more about michael's insubordination than anything else yeah I really, it's it's tough predicting with this show because every prediction I've ever had has gone straight out the window. Yeah, they they're never they're always zagging. Yes. <laughs> so I'm not sure. So I guess we'll just have to find out. Uh, but if you have any predictions, our dear listeners, get at us. Let us know what you think on uh, our Facebook group, or you know, tweet at us, or send us an email. We don't get emails from people. I mean, by the time we record the next episode we will have all learned what the actual outcome is but uh yeah if you if you if you send us a prediction and it turns out to be right we will give you mad props on air yes yes and it would be fun to see what other people are thinking because i am straight out of ideas yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad i'm not a tv writer what a terrible job that would be for me (laughs) i think you could do it i just think you'd have to know like, you would know, right? If you were writing, you would know what was happening. Yeah, I you know, assume Michael know. Shore or, or Megan Amram. Oh, by the way, congratulations, Megan Amram, on hitting one million Twitter followers. We are two of them. <laughs> yes. Amramica, the beautiful. Um, I assume Michael Shore and or Megan Amram, like, wrote the arc for the, the, for the season. And all you have to do is, like... At the beginning of the episodes, the characters are in this position, and by the end, they have to be in that position and, like, get them there. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, it would be, it would be I still don't if- think I could write for the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would be a fun exercise, though. Like, if you wrote an episode, what would it be? Maybe that's a game we can play next time we have an episode. Well, it's going to be a long summer hiatus, so we have to think of some things to, uh, Maybe we can, we to can, talk uh, about. We can troll the fan fiction archives for some of that uh, alternate Eleanor this, Tahani. <laughs> that could be amazing or terrible or <laughs> I'm not really sure. Heading over to archive of our own, see what's over there. <laughs> okay, do that on your own time. <laughs> or, you know, we just over the summer break talk about Last Jedi some more. <laughs> Every other week we talk about Last Jedi. Basically. It's it's the, it's a good place fan fiction interspersed with The Last Jedi talk. Also, The Last Jedi fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, no, thank you. No. The Star Wars fan fiction universe <laughs> is too big. It is vast. Vast. Too and... scary. <laughs> Should we leave it there? Yeah. Till next time. Listen to music, not EDM. Yes. All right, we'll see you later, Ding Dongs. Knock, 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 knock.
knock, knock. 